Blog Talk Radio. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian. Good morning, everyone. This is Dr. O. Sullivan, and you are listening to Holistic Picture with Dr. O. Um, We have a very wonderful guest with us today. He's been with us before, and we're going to talk about some really important things, especially uh, due to recent developments in our town. Um, Dr. Jesse Saul is with us again from Prescott Area Pet Emergency Hospital. Good morning, Dr. Saul. How are you? Oh, very well. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. And I heard you had your coffee, so you're ready to go. You and I both. That's good stuff. <laughs> so, That's right. Uh, a little jump start. A little jump, yeah. So just so everyone knows, that with holistic medicine does not mean that you're not up to your darn coffee every single morning. So um, <laughs> once again, <laughs> um, this is Holistic Pet Care with Dr. O, and I want to ask people to listen in. I want them to call in. Also, continue to join blogtalkradio.com backslash Sylvia Global for all of the on-demand shows that we've done because a bunch of them are going to be very powerful for what we're talking about today. Um, Let's see here. We want to like us on Facebook, right? It's Holistic Tech here with Dr. O. Um, Twitter is Dr. ODVM, and this show recently uh, has started the YouTube station. So we're doing a bunch of face-to-face YouTubes, and um, those are all linked to, I think, my Facebook or the Facebook for the show. So always thank you to Sylvia Global Media Network and all of her support. That's you, Austin. You're the best. And um, we're going to be talking about something that uh, is local for us, and has just happened recently, and it's very powerful. And it's just, I just found out about it last night. So let's just dive into this, if you're okay with that, Dr. Saul. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, we, we talked about this a little bit on, off the air, and I really would like people to use what we're about to talk about in a very educational, informative, empowering advocating for your pet's way, okay? The stuff that I read this morning on the news is finger-pointing negative, um, people coming up with their own darn ideas, and to be honest with you, not knowing what the heck they're talking about. So um, I'm going to try and stay as even-keeled as I can about this, but this is very, very um, near and dear to my heart, and I think any veterinarian worth their salt would agree. Um, I recently, here in my little nook of the world, wrote a hot weather hazards for pet article for Green Living Magazine. On Monday, I went and did the Morning Scramble live TV show about hot weather hazards. On Thursday, I taped an Arizona public broadcast radio show about hot weather hazards. And then we spent last Tuesday here at Blog Talk Radio backslash Sylvia Global talking about hot weather hazards. And doing the YouTube show on the same topic. This is how important this is, okay, because we have to reach as many people as possible, and this is the reason, okay. So most recently, if you live uh, where we live uh, in Phoenix, you might remember seeing the 
television images of two police officers carrying a dead dog out of a car that somebody had left them. This was probably three, four weeks ago, and i got to be honest with you, um, I was crying watching the TV set. Then I get home yesterday, and I was told that 17 dogs died in a Gilbert kennel. And then this morning I woke up, and that was 20 dogs dead in a Gilbert kennel. And the newspaper says um, that <laughs> apparently heat exhausted deaths of 20 dogs at Gilbert boarding facility last week. Okay, So that's as far as we're going to really get into it. But the idea that Dr. Saul and I were discussing is that we went and entrusted the lives and health and well-being of our best friends to somebody else and then get the phone call, right? Get the phone call that all our friends have died now or some of our friends have died. Now, that can happen, but the idea that there was something that was so damn preventable, heat exhaustion deaths, are you kidding me, right? So, um, and then I want to present a challenge to you, I guess, Dr. Saul, to comment on this in your capacity as an emergency veterinarian and also the comment that you and I talked about. Somebody in the newspaper made a comment that said, ready, dogs are more heat to- more tolerant to the heat than humans. So I'm going to leave it with you, Dr. Saul, first of all, about how preventable is heat stroke. Second of all, the comment that the dogs are more heat tolerant than humans. So... Take it away, Dr. Saul. It's just—it's hard for me to believe that someone actually wrote that. Um, it's obviously so far from the truth that, that like I said, I, I just can't believe that someone would actually write it. I it's actually have chills on my arms true. right now. Yeah. Yeah, it's—it's just—it's not true. I mean, they are not able to to stand high high temperatures. It's just not—it's not something that they can do. You know, just because they're you know maybe a little tougher than and some people, it doesn't mean that they can sit in a hot car and, and survive it. It's, it's just not... Can you, tell, can, you, can you tell people why that is? What, now, why is it that you and I can do stuff to get rid of heat and dogs can't? People honestly don't even know this stuff. So what's the difference between you, me, and a dog? And um, according to the Phoenix, City of Phoenix website, even on an 80-degree day, the temperature in a closed vehicle can reach 105 in 10 minutes. During the hottest summer days, internal car temperatures have been recorded at 215 degrees, okay? So those are very special circumstances, but we're talking about, we don't have all the facts here, but any closed environment, and we're going to talk about that, right? A closed environment for our dogs. Yeah. So I guess we, we need to talk about how, how our pets actually do dissipate heat. Um, they do it a little differently than us. We, as humans, have the ability, we have sweat glands, and so evaporative cooling. We sweat. As that sweat evaporates, it takes heat with it, and that dissipates heat. Dogs don't have the ability to sweat throughout, you know, their entire body like we do. They right. do have sweat glands in their feet, but it's yeah. just such a small portion of their body that they can't actually dissipate heat that way. So the main way that dogs dissipate heat and cats as well, um, is panting. And so evaporative cooling of the moisture from their lungs. And so that's how, that's how they're able to get rid of heat. But if right. at the same time they can't get out of a hot environment, those, those capacities will, will be limited and they won't be Absolutely. able to accommodate. Absolutely. Absolutely. You couldn't be more right. So, so with our dogs and our cats, we're stuck in an environment, let's say even 
a, a closed-in space, or let's talk about things like in a backyard with no shade, or on a regular walk in the heat of the day, or in a closed space, or let's talk about if these dogs have a short muscle, or they have the heart and lung issues, those types of things. But it's important that people hear what Dr. Saul is saying, that you and I sweat across the entirety of our body, whether we feel it or not. When there's no um, humidity here, it's so darn dry where we are here in Arizona, that we don't actually feel ourselves sweating sometimes, but we are losing water. Now, with our dogs and our cats, they actually cats, I don't, I don't even like seeing a cat pant, <laughs> but they open their mouth and they get rid of heat that way across the tongue, and then their pads, and that's it. Now, many times, these guys, their pads are, let's say, on hot dirt. Their pads are on hot asphalt, hopefully not. Their pads are exposed to the surface. It's hot anyway. So many times that's difficult for them. So can we talk about some of the other circumstances that our dogs and cats might, more dogs than cats, I guess, but that would cause a heat stroke type condition? Sure, yeah. One of the, um, one thing that comes to mind is the brachiocephalic breeds, so mm-hmm. the, the short muzzle breeds. The big ones that I think of are pugs, um, Boston Terriers, and and Bulldogs. Yes. And so the you know they already, at least for those of you who own these types of dogs, know that they pant quite a bit, and they make a lot of noise when they're when they're breathing, you know, snoring and when they're sleeping, and sometimes just snoring just in general while they're breathing. And so, you know, there's several um, several factors that cause that, and, you know, we can get into those in detail if we want, but the big things are there's a lot more tissue in the back of their throat because their whole face has been smashed back. Yep. And so when they breathe, they have a smaller, a slightly smaller airway than, say, a, a longer, normal muzzled-type dog, like a, a Labrador. And so as they breathe, there's a little bit of inflammation associated with that, air rushing past this, this tissue. And with inflammation comes swelling. And so if a dog is panting excessively, there can be you know, swelling in the back of the throat that can actually occlude the airway. And yeah, make it once worse. They make it worse. Genuine, yeah, exacerbate the, the issue. And so if they're, you know, they're panting heavily to try to dissipate heat, and then all of a sudden this airway is constricted, and it's going to just snowball into disaster. Exactly. Okay. So, so these these dogs when they when they start to get hot, and I want to I want to ask us to be a little bit graphic, Dr. Saul, so we can really drive this point home with the the audience and the power that we have with this show. Um, um, I, I've seen my fair of heat stroke dogs, and um, and as a veterinarian, as an emergency veterinarian, as an on call twenty four hour. Being, you know, kind of, it's a very, very kind of a, not a powerful situation. But you're, you're making all the as veterinarians, we make all the calls. You know, they come in, we're monitoring everything. It is very much a heat stroke case. Is absolutely second to things like bloat and such, but absolutely an emergency. It's a multi-staff emergency, and these animals come in, and depending on how long they've been exposed to heat and their ability to ventilate, like Dr. Saul's talking about, there are long-term internal damage that can happen with these guys, even if they survive. And um, treating heat stroke dogs is an ugly, ugly process, as far as I'm concerned. And um, it's very sad. It's very, very sad And that you have so many people trying so hard 
to help these guys out to drop their body temps to make sure their fluids are okay. You're checking their red, red cells. You're checking everything else about them, running blood on them. Running those. You're putting enemas here. You're putting there. You're putting as many wines as you can with your, you know, cooling them off but not too cool, not too fast, not too this. Because you don't want to cause DIC and kill them that way, it's not easy for veterinarians, speaking just for myself, to control heat stroke dogs depending on how far down the road they've gone. And my experience in Vegas, your experience here in Arizona, and these poor dogs here in Gilbert and the veterinarians that may have tried to get in contact with these guys, it's not an easy job and it's not an easy fix. And as Dr. Saul just mentioned, it spirals down this horrible road so quickly. It really does. And it gets really quite out of control quite quickly. And um, a, a heat stroke death is a desperate death. So um, we never want to put our animals in that situation whatsoever because they don't want to die. They want to breed. And I don't know if you guys ever right. overheated. Um, so I don't mean to get too emotional about it. It's just that I don't know how. It's so preventable. It's so it's preventable. so preventable. Thank you so much. Um, and that, that being said, Dr. Saul, I, I really want to uh, let everyone know, listening now and in the future, that all the information, well, I guess Dr. Saul and I are, are part of our lives are dedicated to of course, but Today's show and all the information we throw out in the world, please know that we're dedicating it to these tw- these 20 dogs and their owners and all of their loved ones and everyone that cared about them and all of the first responders and such who are trying so hard to get this thing squared away. But definitely these 20 dogs and these owners, I can't imagine being in your shoes today or tomorrow or next year or however. It doesn't ever go away. So and like Dr. Saul said, so preventable. So please know that doctors, well, I can only speak for myself, but we're, we're thinking about you and, and our hearts are breaking for you guys. So um, with that, let, let, let's continue on. Let, let's tell people how this is preventable, Dr. Saul. <laughs> just don't put them in the car, especially in the summer. It doesn't matter where you live in the United States. Just you just don't do it. It's, it's that easy. If you have the dog with you, just take the dog out of the car. You know, I... I don't think no matter where you go, anyone is going to mind if you bring the dog in with you just to say, I'm sorry, I can't leave it in the car. Yep, you know, that's Don't great. be embarrassed by it. You know, it's, I, I have to have the dog with me, whatever. Just get the dog out of the car. That's absolutely. And the thing is that it's not, it's not negotiable as far as I'm concerned. You know, my dog, Daphne, who travels almost everywhere with me, she's at home now outside with her pool and her sprinklers and a fan in the shed, you know, just, you know doing her thing. Um, but she's not in the car with me. She's not in this hot office with me. But if she were, for some reason, she goes everywhere I go, in and out of everywhere, in the air conditioning, just for that reason. Now, there are other situations, such as people bring their dogs on a walk when the sun goes down. Now, the pavement is still quite hot when the sun goes down, you know, just actual physical pavement. Now, just like your answer was, just don't do it. Don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people with the, um, the... hot surfaces, put your hand on it, your palm on the asphalt. If it's hot, don't walk your dog on it. You know, it, 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 it just seems kind of infantile, but we don't, humans don't think wearing our shoes to put their hand down on the pavement, and right. that can lead to pad burns. But also, if our animals are in a, a backyard with no shade or no breeze or those types of things, and especially if you have, like you're talking about, a short-muzzled brachiocephalic dog, and water, you know, I mean, just think about it. water or have a fan out there. You know, there's so many things that we can do, even if you're a backyard dog, you're an indoor dog, a closed space dog. 
you know, uh, taking a dog for a walk, do it early in the morning. So, you know, just these kinds of things, we have to think about it. And we have to make their their life more important than our busy schedule. So this has turned into some sort of, like, soapbox awful thing. And (laughs) and just as a a little tangent, um, Dr. O, I know that we we talk mostly about our our small animal patients, um, companion animals, but that goes for horses as well. Um, for any horse owners that may be listening, if a horse throws a shoe, you know, a, a horse who normally has shoes on and they throw a shoe, they can they can burn their hooves just as easily. And, mm-hmm. you know, my, my wife is an, um, an equine veterinarian and she's dealing with a, a patient who, who that happened to. So just as a tangent, you know, be, be cautious as well with those critters. Well, and so they're, so they're at the bottom of their, their hoof, especially their frog and such, which is more soft and palatable and pliable, if it's not used to being surface-to-surface with something hot like asphalt, and we have to remember, these guys are maybe, what, a 1,000 pounds, and unfortunately the design of the horse is they're walking on their middle finger. I mean, they're literally walking on their middle finger, and in that weight-bearing capacity on those hooves, for being such giant creatures, they are so fragile, aren't they? I mean, they're really oh, they just are. so fragile. You got, gosh, you've got to have a lot of respect for these big guys. Um but thank you so much for bringing that up, right? I mean, and also, let's talk about our bird friends, right? Our birds have two-step respiration. Yes, yes, very susceptible to heat, environmental changes, um, you know, the, the swamp cooler, uh, air conditioner, a bunch of crap blowing in from the outside, or if you're using indoor cleaners or those types of things, and, of course, Teflon cans never do that. But the heat changes, the humidity changes in birds, it's it's a life changer for these guys. So you just have to know what we're doing. And, and like Dr. Sell said, it's so preventable, isn't it? I mean, you just have to make them a priority and have to advocate for them. I'm so happy you brought up your wife, though. Isn't that fantastic that you guys can kind of um, collaborate on things like that and bring that to the world like you just did? So what do we do with our – if we we throw a shoe, we're going to get – a farrier out there and get them reshot and such, but yeah, or, we, you know, get them under get them under shade. In the meantime, just you know, try to do whatever you can. I, you know, things happen, obviously, but you know, it, it can happen just as easily to any any creature. That you know, we're we're obviously the exception because we are always wearing shoes. We're never touching <laughs> hot pavement, you know, concrete, asphalt, but even the dirt. You know, even just a horse standing out on the dirt, especially here in Phoenix, the, the surface temperature can get up over a hundred and 120, 140 degrees in, in no time. Exactly, exactly. And how does that feel on your feetsies, right? I mean, and that people think since we have this, you know, the, the hoof, people look at it as being like, oh, you know, it's it's just so hard and it's just so tough. It's like, actually, it's not. It's a living, breathing, circulating organ that's touching the ground, and it's so vital to their health. And actually, if we screw that up, it's a life-threatening thing. You know, it really can be a life-threatening thing for these guys. So um, what about, are, with the horses, are there any of these things like cool boots or anything that we can put on them that help to um, modulate temperatures or, or kind of you can soak them? Just like I'm thinking about my dogs, right, because I have a cool boots, a little one that has a little Velcro, and they take care of any temperatures over about 75 degrees, and it has this little mesh, really cool stuff. Anything like that for the horses these days? You know, they, they do, but typically, as long as they have shoes on, they, they typically aren't affected. Okay. And so it's it's the, the instance where it is like what I brought up is when, you know, a horse who typically has shoes on and then all of a sudden, you know, either throws a shoe or, 
you know, a farrier comes out, removes the shoes, and doesn't put them back on, you know, that right. horse is very susceptible. But, right. you know, going back to what you were just talking about, you know, the, the little booties for your small animal um, companions is, is a great idea. You know, yeah. if you like to be out, you know, if you're a hiker, if you're a jogger, or you just like taking your dog for a walk and you live in one of these environments like we do here in Phoenix, they're, they're one of the best investments you could you could buy. Yeah, yeah, I just, um, I, I'm not sure, you know, um, I've got a pit bull who is in a uh, um, wheels. He's got Eddie's wheels, you know, so he's basically in a wheelchair, right, because he's got mm-hmm. spinal issues. And um, his feet, you know, they, they cut, he's spinal walking, which means his back end's moving, but so, but he's black, and he's a pit bull, and he wants to be out everywhere, and so he's, uh, he's prone to overheating himself. And my dog has a physical disability that doesn't allow him to get out of the sun rapidly if he doesn't, if he can't. So when we go hiking or when we go out in his, you know, his wheels to the park or in the shade early on the green, he's always wearing his booties, which you can put in the water. They um, dissipate heat and they have a mesh surface on them. And they do great things to protect his feet, also keep his feet cool, and they have a water-type, you know, moisture in them. But um, I believe in them 100%. The thing that I want to make sure everyone understands is that, like Dr. Saul said, dogs sweat to their feet. So when you're done with your walk, you're done with your hike, you're done with whatever, get the boots off the dog. The, the feet have to be open to the air to sweat, just like you and I we have to. So they're a wonderful, wonderful um, addition to the dog's life and their safety and their comfort and absolutely stop pad burns as far as I'm concerned. But when everything's over, take them off. Don't, don't forget not to take them off because having feet, pads that can sweat, is as crucial to our discussion as protecting our pads. So I didn't mean to say yeah, that. Yeah, it would be the off. equivalent of wearing a, you know, like a trash bag or something like that, and you wouldn't be able to, to sweat. So absolutely, you're completely <laughs> right. Get those things off. You're, you're so good with your analogies, Dr. Saul. It's like wearing a trash bag. Nobody wants to do that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay, let's, um, if you don't mind, let's continue our conversation with certain kinds of other problems that our dogs and cats might have that aren't going to do well in the heat, just like humans. Sure. Um, you know, one of the, the biggest things that comes to mind is um, patients that have heart disease or, you know, yeah. any sort of cardiovascular disease. And, you know, that can be anywhere from, you know, a heart murmur to congestive heart failure to, like, I keep wanting to come back to laryngeal paralysis, which is yes. a, <laughs> a, an upper airway disease. Um, any any type of brachiocephalic is already predisposed. We already talked about that. But, mm-hmm. you know, the big ones would probably be uh, heart heart disease. So we can talk about yeah. that. Or even um, even like cats with asthma, you know, cats that have oh, asthma, yeah, or our dogs that have the allergies that really, you know, everything is inflamed anyway, and then you put them in this hot environment with this rapid respiration across these inflamed organs, like you were talking about before. But we can't forget our cats. Now, cats um, shouldn't be open mouth breathing. I mean, they're kind of they're not obligate nasal breathers, but they mostly breathe through their nose. And so when you see a cat that has its mouth open, is respiring through their mouth, okay, but God forbid, let's, let's say this cat has asthma or this cat has autoimmune disease or this cat is on a bunch of meds or, you know, stuff like that, right? Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. when our cats go outside and are laying somewhere or since we're not having our cat on a leash or not paying attention to them, sometimes we don't recognize or since cats have a tendency to hide and dogs have a tendency to seek attention, they're two completely different beasts. But 
our, our cats can have medical problems, and cats do get heart disease, but they hide it. <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately they hide it so well that it's, you know, they they come in and, you know, anytime a cat is open mouth breathing, that, that's an emergency to me. It's, yes. it's just they, yes. don't, they don't open mouth breathe. It's just not what they do. Yeah. Um, and so I... I, especially the older cats, I, I think getting them checked at least every every six months is one of the best things you could do. Looking, listening for heart murmurs, listening for abnormal lung sounds, and exactly. you know, like we keep seeing, they they hide it so well that sometimes even as veterinarians we miss these things until until you know the cat has progressed to a point where it's it is very life threatening. Well, and you're exactly right. And then also, the cats are so different than dogs in regard to the white coat syndrome, where they get a little bit, sometimes might get a little bit more anxious, and a cat's heart is beating faster anyway. So trying to listen to an anxious cat in an exam room whose heart's running like a rabbit at like 240, sometimes it's hard to get catch a heart murmur anyway. You know, they just, okay. And, you know, there's, I've treated many cats who don't have a heart murmur and yet do have, heart disease and so it's cats are tricky <laughs> they don't read the book they, uh, they, 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 nobody's told us to read the cat books to read that but uh, I guess the important piece for people to know is that cats are susceptible to heat stroke and a lot of times we we're, we're talking about pets in general here today but we always kind of seem to focus on dogs but cats are super susceptible to heat stroke same as you same as our dogs and our like we're talking about birds and horses and such and they're wearing the fur coat they can't sweat anywhere but their tongue and their pads, just like a dog. And um, we don't have a tendency to pay as much attention to them for good reason, because they're just their own creatures. But Dr. Saul, can we talk about some of the signs of heat stroke? So let's say mom and dad come home or say you walk in or you're on a walk or whatever the situation is, right? Tell us some about some of the signs of heat stroke. What, what is your dog or cat, dog doing? Sure. Absolutely. Some of the First things that you'll see, <clears throat> excuse me, is just excessive panting. And you know, obviously, most people are like, well, you know, they, they just came from a walk; they're gonna they're gonna pant. But when they're not able to to catch their breath and they continue to pant, you know, that would be probably the first sign. The first sign. Yes. Um, weakness. Weakness is is right up there. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, unfortunately, it's it's really hard because there's a there's a large spectrum there, you know. Initially, yeah, yeah, like I, I keep saying, panting, but they can they can decompensate very very quickly to weakness, collapse, um, yes, you know, yes, coma, yes. and and death. Unfortunately, is you know the the other end of that spectrum. And these guys, these guys, when they're panting and trying to get their breath and trying to cool themselves off, it goes together hand in hand or paw in paw with anxiety. These guys know something's Absolutely. wrong, and they're trying to they save get their very own lives. Anxious so anxious. Their tongues are going to be red, beat red most cases, because they're trying to blow off all this and that they're, you know, the blood's moving as fast as it can. Sometimes they get this thick saliva in their mouth because they're you know, using up their body water. It's kind of this white stuff in the corners of their mouth like you and I get when we go to the gym and don't drink enough. Vomiting, diarrhea, um, and then glazed eyes. I mean, this is kind of an end-stage thing, like Dr. Saul said. If you look at your dog panting excessively, anxiety, and they, their eyes are glazed over, we are in trouble. We're in trouble. And then, you know, high body temperatures and such. But it, like you said, vomit, and then coma and death. And it's, it's not a fun way to go. But 
physically looking at your dog, that excessive panting, like Dr. Stahl said, along with anxiety. Very, very anxious. Anxious, because I'm dying. I mean, literally, I'm trying to save myself, right here trying to save myself. Now, Dr. Stahl, without diagnosing, treating, preventing, or curing anything, can you tell folks between, oh, crap, my dog's overheating and I need to drive to the emergency hospital, what things can you tell people would be safe for them to try on their dogs on the, on the way to see you? Because we need to the do something The very first thing I would, I would do is hopefully um, offer the, the dog some, some cold water, see if yes. they can drink a little bit of cold water. If, you know, this is the early stages. If you find your dog where it's already collapsed or, you know, something like that, obviously you're, you're needing to get to an, uh, a veterinarian as quickly as possible. Um, right. Cold packs, you know, putting, putting cold packs on the dog and, and rushing them in. Right. Um, getting their pads wet with, yep. you know, with cold water is a great thing you can do. Um, you know, I always tell people to put them in front of a fan, whether that's the air conditioner or like in your house, put them in front of a fan. And maybe not right in front of a fan, but we need air circulating into their face. We need a, you know, either a, a water-laden blankie over their neck, or like Dr. Stahl says, you can go to places like Dick's and some other places and get, or any hiking place and get those the things that you snap and you shake them, and they turn into a cold pack, you know, uh, for emergencies and such. I've got a dozen of them here in my office, and you just pop them with your fingers, and then you shake it, and they turn really cold for hours and hours. So carrying that in an emergency kit or having that at your house, throwing it on the back of your dog's neck while you're on the way to go see Dr. Saul. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what else? Begin spray water, you know, like um, with a spray bottle. Definitely get their pads cool. Get some water on those pads and keep water on those pads on your ride. And ready? Own a thermometer and lube. Sorry I'm stepping on here, Dr. Saul. It makes me crazy. People don't own thermometers and lube. Or they don't know how to take the dog's temperature. Or ta- I don't actually want people to take the cat's temperature, but <laughs> you know what I mean? So what are your thoughts on that, Dr. Saul? I, when I, somebody calls me on a, anything, what's your dog's temperature? I don't know. I don't have a thermometer. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Let's start with the weight. It, it, right? it costs a couple dollars at your local drugstore. Get one. Have one. Don't use, you know, you have one obviously separate for human use and animal <laughs> use based off of how you have to get the, the temperature of your, your pet friend. Um, <laughs> um, and, yeah, have one. Normal, normal temperature in, in a dog should be, should be less than 102 degrees. I mm-hmm. typically say anything less than 101.5 is kind of my upper end is that I feel comfortable with. But with, with heat stroke, you're, you're going to be seeing temperatures 104, hopefully 104. nowhere up near 109 degrees. You know, once they oh, start yeah. creeping up anywhere past 100 and 107, 108, you're really starting to get some serious internal damage. Exactly, exactly. And the thing is that we know we know that physiologically, I mean, inside the body, after we hit, now, when you take a temperature of a dog, you're doing it rectally, so you're taking the inside body temperature, not the tongue, not the ear, inside the dog. So 105 uh, once again, we're in trouble. You know, the, the body organs inside are not built to deal with 105 degrees, and that you have to understand the in, organs inside are trying to blow off the heat inside the dog. So it's just gonna, it's just gonna spiral higher and higher on your way to go see Dr. Stahl. So um, just knowing a little bit about these types of processes, I think, kind of conveys the urgency of the thing. If your dog's temperature is 103. Or 103 and are panting. Get it, get them to call a doctor. You know, call a doctor. Say this is what's going on. 
call the emergency clinic, have them walk you through stuff while you're on the way to the hospital, or tell them what's going on with your thermometer in your hand and have them help you over the phone. You know, get professional help to save your dog's life. And I'm not, I'm just not over glamorous about this thing. I'm not being, this is the truth. This is the truth of the situation as I see it. If it's possible your dog is heat stroking and they're on their way down that road, call a professional veterinarian now. And just hopefully when after they survive it, we can do some really great education like we're doing here on the show today. So I um, want to really um, send my heart out to the families, friends of these 20 dogs that lost their life um, last week and uh, be extremely supportive of everyone that's trying to resolve this and everyone that's trying to support the family and the friends of, of this horrible tragedy. Do this, please for this family, for whoever, through education, just like Dr. Saul said. This is, this is the only way we're going to stop this. And um, take a moment of silence and just hug your dog, kiss your cat, and be very thankful that they're still there with you, okay, because these, these horrible things can happen. I don't need to be a doomsdayer, but just appreciate them, advocate for them, get educated for them, love them, and share this information with everyone. Do that by getting on Facebook, Twitter, Dr. ODVM, um, like us on Facebook, Holistic Tech Care with Dr. O. Keep listening on blogtalkradio.com backslash Global. Get involved and let us know what you want to hear. The information discussed during the show is not intended to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure any condition. If your pet is currently experiencing any medical issues, please seek immediate assistance from a licensed veterinarian.